according to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be de made manifest, that they shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. Dr. John G. Mitchell often asked a question that is still inscribed on the library wall on the campus of Multnomah University. He asked it of every class and challenged every student with it. Don't you folks ever read your Bibles? It is quite evident that he did. Dr. Mitchell once forgot his Bible in his office when he arrived to teach a graduate-level class on the Minor Prophets. Without a pause, he quoted the scripture for the day, word for word, from memory. Dr. Mitchell knew his Bible. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never this Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is the same Jesus the foundation of the church is built upon. The Apostle Paul, the chief architect of the foundation, laid it out for each believer to build upon. God's work, built on God's foundation, will withstand God's test. Here is Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. Good day, friends. Again, we come to you. And we sincerely hope and pray that each one of you who love the Savior... I will take to heart some of the things that the Apostle has written for us in this book of Corinthians. I'm ever amazed as I read it at the grace of God that would permit you and me who love the Savior to be on his team. Verse 9 says, we are, verse chapter 3, we are laborers together with God. We are God's fellow workers. We are God's plowed field or husbandry. We are God's building. In our last lesson, we were dealing with this, dealing with the marvelous fact that each one of us has a special place to function here while we're on earth. And again, I remind you, God rewards faithfulness, not greatness. And each one has a part. Don't try and, and covet the other man's position. You walk with the Lord, he's got a special place for you. You know, you say, well, Mr. Mitchell, I'm the, I'm the least of God's children. I'll take your word for it. He's got a place for you. Every part of my body has a special function. They're not all the same. 
Likewise, in the body of Christ, in the church, the body of Christ, each believer, each member of the church of Christ has a special place. And the thing for me to do, the thing for you to do is to find out the place that God has for us. One plants, another one waters, God gives the increase. So he that planteth is nothing, he that watereth is nothing, but God who gives the increase. And we're on God's team. In our last lesson, we were speaking of the fact what our Lord's responsibility was and what the Spirit's responsibility was and is and what our responsibility is. Our Lord died for the world. The Spirit of God convicts the world and we are to witness to the world. See, we're on God's team. Christ is praying for believers, nobody else, for God's people. I pray not for the world, he said. The Spirit of God prays for believers. He convicts the world of sin, but he's praying for believers. And we are to pray for the unbelievers, for the unsaved. Again, I say we're on God's team. This is what we were dealing with in our last lesson. I just trust the Lord has been talking to your heart that any opportunity that comes your way for ministry or to pray, to intercede, I'm telling you very frankly, one of the rarest things today, in fact, one of the greatest ministries that God has given to us is to intercede before the throne of grace for lost men and women. That's part of God's program. I may argue about the thing, but this is part of God's program. And if I'm in fellowship with God, then I'll be an obedient servant. And he says, I exhort you that first of all, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks, be made for all men. For all who are in authority and so on. For God wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Even as Paul prayed for Israel, he prayed for the believers. So with you and me. Mark the second thing in the verse. We're not only God's fellow workers, but we are God's husbandry. What do you mean by that? That's where God expects to get fruitage. Not through angels, but through you and me. I suggest for your study sometime the gospel through John chapter 15. In the first 17 verses. May, the, may I give you the 15th verse, for example, 16th verse, 16th verse. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. Preceding verses are about verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. Again, you come to it. Much fruit is a sign, an evidence of being a real disciple of the Savior. But aren't all Christians disciples? No. A real disciple of the Savior is one who's already related to the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm well aware of the fact in, in the Gospel through John, for example, many of his disciples walk no more with him. But there the word is, the thought there is, they were just following him from place to place. For example, after he had fed 5,000, the crowd followed him because he had filled their tummies. 
Why didn't they follow him now? Because he said, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. From that time forth, many of his disciples, many of his followers went no further. Same in John chapter 2. Many believed on him when they saw his miracles, which he had done, but Jesus would not commit himself to them. Why? He knew they were not genuine. He would not commit himself to them, for he knew what was in man. They were not following him because they loved him. They were following him because of what they saw, what they felt. And by the way, kind of put it this way, a real disciple is one who has real affection for the Savior and is obedient to his word. And herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Much fruit bearing is a sign of discipleship. We're in God's vineyard. Let us not be like Israel. Well, you remember the prophet wrote, God speaking through his servant, I implanted me a vineyard, and I went to get the fruit, and behold, it, they were sour grapes instead of sweet grapes. No, no. God wants us to bear fruit. We are his we are his husbandry. You're God's building. All believers together form the church, the body of Christ. If you want to follow that through, I would suggest Ephesians chapter 2, the last two or three verses of the chapter. But the apostle wrote that we are God's building. We're a habitation of God through the Spirit. Now, starting in verse 9 of chapter 3 and running through verse 12, 9 to 12, we have God's building. Notice that place. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, Hey, stubble. Let me just stop there. God is building a building. And the important thing, of course, is the foundation. And in verses 10 and 11, you have the foundation. According to the grace of God given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. You see, where we build is more important than how we build. And we build upon one who is God manifest in the flesh, the essential deity of Christ. This is the foundation. You remember in Matthew chapter 16, starting about verse 13 and running down through, you have where our Lord on his way from Caesarea Philippi, turned to his disciples and he said, what are men saying about me? Oh, they said, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elias, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're one of the prophets. Well, what do you say? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Our Lord said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father who is in heaven. 
I say you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. There's the foundation. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now let me suggest, I'm going to stop here for a minute. It may be some of you got your minds confused. The foundation is not a man, it is Christ Jesus, God's wonderful Son, the only begotten Son of God. You remember in Matthew chapter 7, toward the end of the chapter 24 to 27, uh, anybody builds a house on the sand, the storms come, the wind blow, and the house goes down. Why? Because it's built upon the sand. If you're going to build a house, you've got to put a good foundation under it. Strong foundation. The important thing is the foundation. No use building a beautiful house on a poor foundation. When the storms come, something happens to the house. I'd like to suggest this to you tonight. Whenever you read of rock in the Scriptures concerning a person, it always refers to deity. Now, Peter's not the rock. When he says, thou art Peter, Petros, and upon this Petra, immovable rock, Petros, a little stone you can kick around. You know, you go down the street and you kick a stone. That's Peter. And his life shows that. The night our Lord was betrayed, Peter denied him. Going to build your house upon Peter? That's a poor foundation. But upon this Petra, this immovable rock, I will build my church. Now, I said a moment ago in your Bible, when it comes to the question of this statement, the rock, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the fourth verse, that rock which followed them was Christ. I repeat it, when the word rock is used concerning a person, it always has to do with deity, not with any man. I'm going to read you two or three verses from the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy just, just to illustrate what I'm talking about. In 32 of Deuteronomy, verse 4, he, talking about God, he is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, righteous is he. Go down to verse... Uh, 25, verse 15. And talking about Israel, last half of the verse, then he forsook God, which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. You go down to verse 18. Or in fact, verse 17, they sacrificed unto devils. The gods whom they knew not, the new gods that nearly came up whom your fathers feared not. Of that rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful and hast forgotten God that formed thee. What I'm talking about, whenever it speaks of rock, talks about deity. You go down to verse 30, same chapter. How should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight, except, except their rock had sold them and the Lord had shut them up? For their rock is not as our rock, even our enemies themselves being judges. Talking about the heathen gods, their rock 
It's not like our rock. Go down to verse 20, 37. And he shall say, or let me say verse 36, for the Lord shall judge his people and repent himself of his servants. When he saith that their power is gone, there is none shut up or left. And he shall say, where are their gods? Their rock in whom they trusted. So you go on all the way down through your Bible. And I like that verse. Again, I quoted from 1 Corinthians 10, 4, and that rock which followed them. Talking about Israel in the wilderness. And that rock which followed them was Christ. You know, I like that little incident or that little quotation from Samuel Rutherford when he said, the rock neither ebbs nor flows. You go down to the ocean, you go down to the coast, in a storm, and you see the, the waves beat on the rocks, the waves go way up in the air, and when the wave recedes, the rock is still there. The rock neither ebbs nor flows. You can have a high tide and a low tide, but the rock neither ebbs nor flows. How glad that we're built upon the rock, Christ Jesus. Huh? My friend, may I say to you, if you've never accepted the Savior, what is your rock? What foundation do you have for eternity? It's a wonderful thing to know that God has made the provision whereby you and I can be redeemed. What do you mean by that? To be set free from the bondage and penalty of sin. He bought us to release us, to emancipate us from sin and its judgment. That's a wonderful thing. And Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. He's not building it upon sand. He's building it, being built upon the impenetrable, the, pardon me, the immovable rock Christ Jesus. And how wonderful to know that any sinner, I don't care who they are, they will come and accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. When the storms of life beat on you, and the powers of hell may be arrayed against you. It's a wonderful thing, my friend, to be on the rock, which never ebbs or flows, to be in Christ Jesus, foundation. And then we begin to build upon that foundation. I hope I've made myself clear. You know, I see men and women today, they're building upon the sand, upon false doctrines, they're trying anything and everything except God's provision. Don't you think that if God is going to save sinners, he has the right to say, how are they going to be saved? Don't you think that's true? If God is going to save men and women from sin, if God's going to save men from death, from hell, if God's going to give eternal life to sinners, if God's going to redeem men and women, he's certainly he certainly has a right to say how they're going to be saved, how they're going to be redeemed. One thing for sure, God's going to have a family in heaven. One of the last words our Lord said to his disciples was, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not, so I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. For 1,900 years, he's been preparing a place for a people that's going to spend eternity with him in heaven and glory. And down here, he's preparing people for that place. And the first place to start is to be with him. 
to be related to him. My friend, why don't you face up to it? You can't save yourself. Everything you try is uncertain, and God has a peace for you. God has forgiveness for you. He has life for you. You just put your trust in the Savior. I'm telling you, he's a wonderful Savior. I know that. I've been saved, believe it or not, over 60 years. He's never failed me once. I have failed him, I'm sorry to say, but he's never failed me once. Tests, trials, yes. Disappointments, yes. Like everybody else. For there's no temptation overtaken you but what is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tested beyond that you're able, but will with the temptation open a way of escape. Listen, friend. Build upon the rock Christ Jesus. Don't build on the sand. When the storms come, your house goes down into shadows. Build upon the rock Christ Jesus. That's the foundation. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. That's why he could say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. As dear Peter could say, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. As our Lord again said, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. Shall go in and out. Find pasture. Isn't it wonderful? I tell you, it's wonderful. Oh, my friend, listen, if you've never, never come into relationship with the Savior, I plead with you today to get upon the rock, Christ Jesus. He's the only Savior. There's no other way but his way. There's no other name but his name. There's no other door but his door. And he's never yet, listen, am I talking to you today? He never has turned anybody away who came to him with an honest heart. I don't care what the circumstances are. I don't care how much you've sinned or what condition you're in. I know one thing. If you come to him and you really want salvation and forgiveness and eternal life, then you come to him. I repeat it. He's the friend of publicans and sinners. He died to save sinners. That's why he came into the world, as Paul wrote. This is a faithful saying and worthy of your acceptation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he adds, of whom I am chief. Now, to you Christians, those of you who have accepted the Lord, you're on this foundation, Christ Jesus. The next thing, how are you building? But every one of us are building on that foundation. And verses 12 and 13 says, If any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, hate wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, that they shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. See, you're building. And one of these days you're going to stand in the presence of the Savior, and you've got to give an account. I'm talking to Christians. You say, well, I thought when I came to heaven, I wouldn't face my sin. No, you won't. That's been taken away by the blood of Christ. He died for your sins. 
But what about your life as a Christian? Which we'll take up in our next lesson. But I want this to be clear in your mind. Make it very, very clear in your mind that you've got to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and everyone's got to give an account of himself to God. How you live that life as his child, as a fellow worker with God, as a member of the body of Christ, you've got to give an account of it. Will you read the third chapter of 1 Corinthians over and over again and remember God loves you and he wants to work through you to the praise of the glory of his grace. May the Lord wonderfully bless you. Walk with the Savior today. I'm telling you, he's a wonderful Savior. You walk with him. This is what he wants, is your fellowship. May the Lord richly, wonderfully bless you for his name's sake. So until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.